Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Peristyle Podcast. We are going to focus on USC Trojan recruiting on this podcast. We call it the Trojan Blast, and we have a very special guest, Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, joining us on the line right now. What's up, Gerard? How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's an exciting edition of the Trojan Blast. It's very exciting. Well, people were calling for it, Gerard. So we do the regular podcast on Mondays. We, we throw in some Trojan Blasts every once in a while. We did a lot up till signing day. And then we've done it, you know, intermittently since then. But people were calling out because of the uh, the Nike camp over the weekend. They wanted to get a Trojan Blast in. So we said, we got to pull up Gerard, wake him up from his slumber, and uh, get him on the podcast. So here you are. The Nike camp and uh, USC also had a pretty big unofficial visit weekend last weekend as well. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely some recruiting stuff to talk about. And as we said, as we get into April and get closer to the May evaluation period, there's going to be more to talk about with recruiting. So that is why I'm here. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into some of these questions. We have a bunch of voicemail questions we want to get to. And some of the big news uh, for USC fans is the commitment of Rancho Cucamonga defensive back, Chris Hawkins. Uh, Gerard, here is the question. Hi, Ryan. This is Ed in Orange County. And I just want to say that I love your broadcast each week. Last, I just have a question. Last week on the Peristyle, you did not mention anything about our uh, Sunday commitment from Hawkins, the cornerback. So I just wondering if that was an oversight or or just what. Anyway, um, that's the only thing I have, question I have. Thank you, and uh, fight on. Well, it wasn't on the Peristyle podcast. It was on the Peristyle. It was all over the Peristyle Sunday and Monday. And uh, we've talked about it a little bit on Tuesday as well. Uh, so it's certainly been all over uh, the uh, the Peristyle message board. And uh, a lot of people really excited about uh, that commitment. And, um, you know, we did some uh, live updates even on Twitter for it. Uh, but the Peristyle podcast, uh, Ryan, I mean, that's that's your department this week. Uh, I don't know if you and Dan actually talked about uh, the commitment on the Peristyle podcast, but I guess that's why we're doing the Trojan Blast today. Yeah, we didn't uh, talk about recruiting on the the podcast at all. So if that's Ed, if that's what Ed was talking about, yeah. But we certainly, when we had it on Twitter, I was posting on Twitter and I posted on uscfootball.com on face on uh, the Peristyle as he said USC. So I mean, I had it ready to go and I posted it right away. So we were, if we weren't, I mean, we were if we were first, we were tied for the first. We had it up there right away. Um, so yeah, definitely was being discussed. We put up video of his commitment when he we committed. We also put up highlight video from him uh, yesterday on you know from the Nike camp over the weekend. So you got to see three or four minutes of uh, highlights of Chris Hawkins in ac- action from that camp. So we definitely had a lot of coverage for him. Do we want to take a moment to talk a little bit about Chris Hawkins and his performance at the Nike camp? Yeah, you want to you wanna jump in there or you want me to talk about either one? Well, he ended up uh, winning the MVP at the defensive backs. Um, and that's, you know, a very subjective type of award. You know, you could probably argue that there are other defensive backs that played better. Um, he did well in terms of, you know, he didn't really have a lot of footballs caught on him. Uh, I thought I counted two. I know on video we have one. 
uh, where there was a pass caught on him. But he did a pretty good job of, of definitely locking down a lot of the receivers. It's a so-so year for receiver in California, but he did go up against um, the MVP at receiver, Stephen Mitchell. And, uh, you know, Stephen Mitchell didn't catch a ball on him. One of those balls was in the ground. But the other one, that was a good pass. Chris Hawkins had pretty good coverage. So I thought he was good. I didn't think he was great or spectacular. Um, I think he's definitely got a lot of room to improve. And, and he's a young guy. I mean, he's definitely – got a lot of physical maturing to do. So I think if you're going to argue, you know, where does this commitment lie? How does he compare with guys like Kevon Seymour or Davion Shelton? I think he's definitely a little more raw in terms of physical ability at this point. Um, but in terms of fundamentals, he does have some good footwork. He has been coached well. There are things that he does well from just understanding cone drills and understanding balance and understanding those types of things. But in terms of, you know, getting in the weight room, getting stronger, getting faster, getting a little more explosive, um, he's definitely got a ways to go to be compared to like a Kevon Seymour or Davion Shelton. I was just watching Kevon Seymour's, uh, I think it was his junior highlights. It may actually have been his senior highlights last year. I happened upon him on YouTube, and that kid's just wow. I mean, he's just really, really phenomenal as an athlete. I mean, he's doing things at receiver. He's running back kicks. He's doing some spectacular things. I think people really don't realize how good Kevon Seymour was last year. I would say that he's a keen to maybe be in the Marcus Lee or maybe the Robert Woods of this class in terms of being an overall athlete, a guy that can even help USC from a special team standpoint. Um, so, you know, that's that's where everybody wants to make comparisons and they want to know kind of, you know, where's Chris Hawkins stack up against guys that USC has previously uh, recruited and obviously guys that maybe are also in this class. Um, in this class, you know, inside California, you know, Chris Hawkins is definitely one of the top prospects as a quarterback and um, he's going to be an early enrollee. I think that was very significant. Uh, when he got his scholarship offer, on an unofficial visit, which was, uh, you know, I think it was like last month. It was a few weeks ago when he got that scholarship offer from Ed Ergeron. Came down for an unofficial visit. He was ready to commit to Stanford the next day. Right then and there, he was still Stanford. And after that point, it, it, you know, there was, some, there was some sales job that had to be done a little bit with the USC coaching staff. I don't know if they were completely sold on him. I'll be honest with you. I think that this is going to be a process uh, that they continue to evaluate. Um, I think Hawkins is going to continue to kind of look at other schools. He says he's kind of shutting down the process. But when we asked him flat out, you know, are you going to take some other official visits to other schools, he said, I don't know. And that kind of makes you think, okay, he's still leaving the door open for that. So I think the early enrollment is a big deal. I think it was a very big deal for USC, you know, making sure that they have some guys that they can get in early so they can pad those numbers of the 15. You know, they're going to be able to bring in 18 instead of 15. So they want to make sure that they bring in some guys that are early enrollees. He's one of those guys that's definitely on track to do that. He doesn't have to do a whole lot of coursework over the summer or next fall to be able to get in early. So that's going to be very significant. It's a big, big part of, uh, I think USC going after him. Um, but like I said, we're going to kind of see it, it. It's a little more open-ended than I think people realize. Okay. Uh, let's move on. We had this, uh, this question. We've had probably three or four other people ask the same similar sort of question. So we'll kind of wrap them all into one. Here you go. Hi, this is Carl from Kansas city. And I'm calling about a highly ranked recruit. Eddie Vander does defensive tackle. He's from California He's highly ranked, and I'm wondering why USC has not offered him yet. Uh, he seems to be a very good player, a position of need for USC. Um, 
and I just wanted to know perhaps was this a health issue or an academic issue or why it is that USC has yet to offer him uh, and if they choose to at some point what's the likelihood of them landing him um, thanks appreciate it bye Carl from Kansas City. That's kind of a smooth radio voice that Carl had there. Yeah, nice job. Uh, Eddie Vanderdose. Uh, what's going on with Eddie Vanderdose? Uh, Eddie Vanderdose does not have a scholarship offer from USC, and, and USC's recruitment of him seems to kind of be uh, at least on the back burner right now. They haven't really gone after him super hard. Again, we're only in April. The May evaluation period is coming up uh, here in, in a couple of weeks, actually, because it starts April 15th. Uh, not actually May 1st. So there is, you know, some time to still see Eddie Vanderdose. He does have some big-time offers. I know Alabama went after him, and, you know, the, the, the rest of the Pac-12 has basically offered him. There's no specific reason that I know of why USC has not offered him. And obviously I can't speak for the USC coaching staff as to why they haven't offered him yet. I mean, it's it's one of three things. One, they just haven't seen enough of him yet. They're just not comfortable enough with his – uh, results and, and what they've seen maybe in person. You know, you can see so much on film, but sometimes you need to sit down and really get to know a guy and really get to see him in person and, and get a feel for him. B, maybe they just have other guys that are higher on their board that they feel more confident with. Um, you know, USC's been really hard offering defensive tackles and even defensive ends in the South. Uh, they've been in the southeast really hard this year, a lot of offers down there. Maybe they've got a couple guys down there that they feel confident about, and Eddie Vanderdose just isn't at the top of their board. There could be C. C would be maybe they just don't feel like he fits into the program. Maybe he just doesn't fit in personality-wise. He did come down for the junior day, so he has unofficially visited USC. And, you know, maybe it's just one of those things where they just felt like he wasn't an SC kind of guy. I mean, that happens. And quite frankly, you know, that's part of the evaluation process as well. You've got to bring in guys that fit your program. The right recruits may not be the best recruits. And I think that's something that maybe Pete Carroll got away from a little bit. He kind of started looking at the guys in terms of their rankings and in terms of their overall talent. But sometimes that overall talent does not mix well with the program or the team that you're building. And so that may be the case for USC. So there's three things. Nothing that I know is specific. I don't think he has any grade issues that I know of. Uh, I don't think there's any off-field issues that I know of. Um, nothing you know, specific that I've uh, heard uh, throughout the grapevine that you know, that's the reason they're staying away from Andy Vanderdose. They could offer him tomorrow and everybody go, well, what, what, what happened? Why, why so late? I mean, USC offered to Han Goodman 6'2", 190-pound safety from Ranch Cucamonga just the other week, and that was an offer that I thought they could have made a month ago. You know, that was a kid that you just look at and go, wow, that kid looks like a player. And uh, you watch him on film, and he's a player on film. And But that offer kind of came out of nowhere, and basically the explanation for that was, well, they just saw his highlight tape recently. Now, I don't know how that happens because Tahan Goodman's highlight tape has been out there on Rivals and everywhere else for probably about three or four months. Uh, but that, you know, but that was the reasoning. Same thing with Kylie Fitz, six three, um, you know, two hundred, and now he's about seventy pound uh, defensive end. Might end up being a defensive tackle from East uh, East Valley Redlands, and he's a guy that you know a lot of people thought he was going to maybe get an offer at Junior Day, and USC decided to wait, and they kind of offered him just out of the middle of nowhere, really. You know, it wasn't like they had any evaluation time or there was something else. It basically was just reviewing his film again and deciding. Yeah, this is a guy that we yeah we think we can get him in. And the other thing with with Kylie Fitz, I think what's really was kind of the turning point was that he's now trying to get out of school early. He also wants to be an early graduate, just like Chris Hawkins, be able to enroll as a college choice in January. So that's again, that's a very very significant part 
of, of, of this class, and it adds value to any recruit that can get out early and be an early enrollee. And, and USC wants to be able to have a, a lineup of those guys because some of those guys fall through the cracks, and they don't end up early enrollees. We saw that last year with Gerald Bowman, the safety from Pierce College, where he was supposed to be an early enrollee, early enrollee, and then last minute, nope, couldn't make it. And the same thing happened with uh, Kelvin York, who was the big running back recruit out of Fullerton College. That was a that really changed and, and really hurt USC recruiting wise last year. I mean, they at basically October going into November figured out this kid's not passed his summer school classes. He doesn't have enough core classes to be able to transfer into USC. He's not going to be an early enrollee. So now all of a sudden they're done, they're scrambling, looking. Okay, we got to find another big back in this class, and then you've got Amir Carlisle who ends up transferring about a month after that. So that was really a bang bang type situation where USC just. You, where do you go from there? You're flat-footed. Uh, so they don't want to get in that situation again. So I think with these early enrollees, they're trying to get as many high school guys as they can, line them up, and we'll see how the process goes. You know, there's going to be some guys that, uh, that you know, early enrollees that they get locked in that they want. Obviously, the quarterback situation, you have Max Brown, who's uh, going to make an announcement here uh, today, later today, and he's, you know, five-star quarterback that's going to be a guy that USC wants to hold on to if they can get him committed and get him enrolled early. He's got to be the guy. But some of these other guys, we're going to kind of see how, how it goes. You know, Kylie Fitz has got quite a few um, classes he's got to take over the summer. And the next fall, you, can, you know, sometimes those guys, maybe you miss a class or something and you can't make that class up. Well, then you're – you know, SOL as far as being able to get out uh, in, in December. And same thing with Chris Hawkins. You know, I mean, he's a guy that definitely is on track uh, as an early enrollee, but we'll see what happens with his recruitment. I mean, he could end up looking at other schools and maybe he starts wavering. Maybe USC starts wavering. The whole wavering thing nowadays, it goes two ways. It's a two way street nowadays. And so, you know, these kids, you saw that last year with Jordan Payton, you saw it with Jadon Mickens. You know, these schools nowadays, they're not going to just sit on a kid and say, okay, yeah, you can go ahead and explore your options, and we'll just hope that uh, you end up signing uh, in February. There's just, um, you know, too much writing on this class for USC. It's too important with these limited scholarships. You have to make sure that you get every guy that you think you're going to get. All right. Um, and then, uh, sorry, there was a little music that played in the middle of Gerard's answer there. That's uh, awesome. I was pulling up was his – good music? No, I was pulling up your uh, Max Brown story. Uh, who's gonna? So, if you're listening to the podcast on Wednesday afternoon when we're putting it up, uh, Max Brown's going to announce tonight. Probably it'll probably be sometime around eight o'clock. You think by the time he announces, Gerard? Um, yeah, probably. That's probably what we're expecting. I mean, the coach said it'd be closer to eight. Uh, families like we ought to be like around seven fifteen. You know, so it's it'll be yeah a window between that point. But he's the the top rated. You know. Uh, under center quarterback, quarterback in the country, according to Rivals.com, and he's going to announce tonight. So I just want to make people aware of that. Uh, did you, I don't know if you want to share anything on him, Gerard, or I guess we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, looks good for USC. Uh, he's going to be down to Oklahoma. Um, and really it's kind of Oklahoma-USC because those are the, school, the schools that he's really seen a lot of just recently. Alabama was supposed to get a visit, but he never actually went down to Alabama. Um, we anticipate him shutting down the process. I think it's one of those things as a quarterback. Usually when these guys commit early, 
they commit early and they kind of shut it down. Not not to say that it's unheard of that you know a quarterback commits early somewhere and then you know starts looking at other schools. But I think in this situation, um, everything lines up that the school that he ends up committing to tonight is a school that he sticks with, and it's going to be a big commitment for whoever gets him. It's going to be big because one. You have the centerpiece of your 2013 recruiting class, and that's always significant, being able to kind of have that, that center of gravity, you know, that guy that can kind of be that satellite recruiter for you and can be in kids' ears. And, and you know, USC's looking for that big receiver. USC's looking for some big-time running backs. You know, there's going to be some offensive skill players that USC has to sign in this class. And when you have a five-star quarterback, the number one quarterback in the nation there, you know, that is definitely – one of those, it's it's an advantage, and it's another reason for kids to kind of want to come together and be a part of, you know, kind of like a special class and a special team. And so, it's always easier to recruit a great recruiting class when you have a big time quarterback in that class. So I think that's, you know, going to be significant if USC is able to get them. They're able to get again a guy with added value because he's an early enrollee, and that's significant because it pads those numbers of the 15. It's also significant because, you know. At worst case scenario, USC has one quarterback coming into next spring. Because if you look at it, you've got Matt Barkley, he's going to be gone in 2013. You're going to have two redshirt sophomores who are going to be uh, Cody Kessler and Max Riddick. Now, let's just say one of those guys ends up kind of being the number two guy during the season for whatever reason. Maybe Matt Barkley gets hurt, knock on wood. Maybe, you know, there's just a, some blowouts. they got to put another guy in there. And one of those guys ends up being that number two. Well, the guy who's got the same eligibility, he's also a redshirt sophomore, is going to decide, you know what, I'm not going to be the number two guy going on to be the number one guy. I'm going. I'm Bolton. So he transfers. Jesse Scroggins, he's had some academic issues. He's been, you know, talked about maybe transferring already. He leaving wouldn't surprise anybody. So all of a sudden you're down to one redshirt sophomore. It's very important. It's vital for USC to get a top quarterback that compete for next spring. They may even look for two. We've talked about that before. It just depends on how this plays out. You know, you I think as an SC fan, you really want this battle, if it becomes a battle between the two redshirt sophomores, Wittick and Kessler, that battle to go all the way until summer. And if there's a transfer, that transfer doesn't happen until sometime, you know, during the fall or during the season, um, if at all. But uh, so, it's, so it's very significant for USC to get a top quarterback. He's the best uh, in the nation right now, ranked number one, and he's a pro-style guy. Um, he's coming from a program that is definitely established in terms of offense. You know, Max Brown actually came in uh, for Jake Heaps, who was an Army All-American, ended up signing with BYU. Now he's transferred over to Kansas to be with Charlie Wise. Um, so he's been coming from a good system in terms of quarterbacks, in terms of skill players. Uh, Kaysom Williams was uh, one of his receivers that went up to uh, Washington last year and ended up playing a lot as a true freshman. So um, some good players that have come from that program. It'll be uh, the second year in a row that USC would be able to steal the number one player in Washington away from Washington, which is big. Last year they signed Max ba- uh, Max Banner, Zach Banner. And uh, this year if they were able to get Ma- uh, Max Brown, that would be uh, you know the two top players in Washington in consecutive years. So, um, you know, pretty good for a program that's right now on probation under sanctions. Not, not too bad. Uh, okay, let's go on. Melvin had a question on, you talked about some of the early enrollee candidates, Max Brown, one of them, uh, Chris Hawkins, stuff like that. But he wants to know, what, how does that help with the numbers as far as the NCAA uh, restrictions on scholarship? How does that help USC's situation there with early enrollees? Well, it helps USC roll over rides that they had not signed the year before. So USC 
didn't sign uh, their full number of scholarships last year because they had early enrollees from the year before. So it's, it's that overlap that you have. USC brought in, well, I think it ended up being five guys that were early enrollees, so they didn't actually have to use all their 15 scholarships for the 2012 class. So those three that were left over for 2012 end up getting carried over to 2013. But you have to have them enroll early. That's the only way that those enrollees, those signees, are able to count towards the previous class. So it's, it's really huge. I mean, otherwise you're going 15, 15, 15. And this was something that we had talked about and we'd asked compliance and we tried to get some, you know, some other people to kind of give us some insight before, you know, the scholarship sanctions really hit. And it was kind of got mixed signals. Like some people said, yeah, you know, USC is going to be able to overlap and carry over uh, those scholarship rides from year to year. And then, and then there was some people that said, no, 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 they can't do it. They have to have 15. Once the, the limitations come in and the sanctions start, it's 15 for three years no matter what. So obviously that's not true. They can overlap and kind of carry over uh, these rides from year to year. And so it allows them to spread the wealth a little more. And, you know, 18, 18 is about the average that Pete Carroll used to bring in every year uh, when, when he was at USC. So, you know, 25 is the, is the limit. 25 is a full class. Very rarely it, it does any team really bring in 25 unless they just have this really big graduating class or, you know, a lot of times you see teams start to go 25 even over when you get a new coach in and then you see a lot of transfers and then they're kind of trying to, you know, clear out the, the old regime and, and, and any of the kids that they think have bad habits or have been complacent. You know, you saw that with UCLA last year. They brought in uh, a big haul of, I think, 29, almost 30 recruits because they're kind of trying to clear out, you know, clear out the old, the old, uh, regime and the, the culture and, and kind of clear the roster of, of guys that maybe are attitude guys or whatever and try to kind of bring in like a fresh attitude. But for established programs like USC, like I said, with Pete Carroll over the years, I mean, 18, 19, that was about as many guys as they would bring in. Uh, they weren't bringing in 25 per year. So if USC can continue to do that and continue to, to hover around that, you know, 15, to, to, to 17 kind of number, um, they're going to be okay. And so uh, that's really the significance of it. That's why it's such a big deal, how they're able to do it. It's all about those early enrollees and having room from, you know, the previous class and kind of uh, using those leftovers and pushing them over to the next class. All right, let's move on. Uh, one of our favorites. If that made sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense too. Here's, the, here's one from our friend Miguel. Hey, Ryan, it's Miguel. I got a question for Gerard. One in Illinois of USC is going to offer a guard, um, Khalil Rogers. He's a teammate of David Sales and Kenny Bigelow. Um, you know, maybe USC can turn that into a pipeline for the future. Thank you very much, and fight on. Our friend Miguel, good to hear from Miguel again. Miguel kind of went and disappeared on us for a while there. Uh, I think it was the Ellis McCarthy questions and stuff, and people started uh, kind of getting on Miguel on the peristyle. But uh, Miguel is back. He's back strong. Uh, he wants to know about the pipeline uh, that was it was uh, <laughs> Red Lion High School, which has turned into Eastern Christian Academy High School now. Um, and you have David Sills, uh, as he mentioned, and, um, you know, the big, big-time guy, the five-star guy for this year, Kenny Bigelow, who's, you know, coming in as a, a defensive tackle, defensive end, um, kind of, you know, that really, really neat position for USC. And then you have Khalil Rogers. As he mentioned, Khalil Rogers is a guard. And 6'3", 300 pounds, he's probably a little bigger than 300 pounds. I really don't foresee USC offering him. Um, you know, he's a good player, and, and there's always that potential where he's just – 
so talented that, you know, you want to bring in a guy like that. I mean, he's already an Army All-American selection, but USC needs offensive tackles in this class, and they're not going to bring in a, a lot of offensive linemen. It's not going to be the numbers that we've seen targeted. It's not going to be the numbers that we've seen signed in the previous two classes. So they really have to be a little more selective and in terms of being selective, they really have to select guys that they think to come in and play offensive tackle. And that means they have to have guys with height. They have to have guys with range, with wingspan, with good feet, that are pretty good athletes that can be able to play on that edge and play against pass rushers. So that really doesn't – doesn't describe Khalil Rogers. Khalil Rogers is a little more of a tank. You know, he's he's, he's shorter. He's uh, he's he's strong and he's pretty explosive for a guy his size. But he's a guy that's going to be playing inside. And USC is really strong interior. I mean, they really have some good players on the interior. They need some guys who can play out on the edge. Okay, uh, thanks for that one, Miguel. Let's go to Matthew. He had a couple questions. One, uh, you think Stephen Mitchell? proved worthy of a USC offer. And then also Coach Palmolo was evaluating talent at the uh, Nike camp there in, uh, at Cerritos College. Was he evaluating talent? I'm sorry. Was he evaluating talent or was he watching his son? Oh, of course he was just watching his son. Trey, uh, Trey Palomalu, uh, quarterback, uh, 2016. And, uh, you know, he's uh, been at a couple uh, different events, and uh, Coach Palomalu has been able to come by because that's, you know, a rule NCAA-wise. You're allowed to watch your son if he's participating uh, in, you know, games or, or certain events. And so, you know, he's able to tag along. But uh, he was there for his son. Um, in terms of Stephen Mitchell, Stephen Mitchell's talent, I don't think, is really in question so much as, does he fit what USC wants this year in terms of uh, the style of receiver they're looking for? They really, really want size. They really, really are looking for and trying to find the, the Dwayne Jarrett, Mike Williams, even Patrick Turner, somebody who's got some you know, legitimate 6'4", legitimate 6'5", and can play big. And they have yet to really find it. There's some guys nationally that they've gone after. They just offered Paul Harris, who's a receiver from Maryland, who's uh, pretty good. You know, we'll see. There's some people that are kind of, eh, he's more of a three-star guy. Maybe it's a little bit of a reach for USC. Obviously, USC doesn't think so. Um, but they've kind of gone off there looking for those guys that are 6'4", 6'5", because they really want that big receiver because they don't really have it right now on the roster. Um, and, and, you know, there's an argument to be made, and I don't want to take this off, sub, off subject here, but there's an argument to be made that USC's offense really isn't made for those big receivers right now. It's a play-action offense. It's something that kind of bogged down the offense, you know, when Lane Kiffin was an offensive coordinator back in 2006, 2005, you know, with, with, with and not so much 2005, they had such a great offense overall because of Reggie Bush and everything, but 2006, and going even to the Sark years with 2007 and 2008, USC had some bigger receivers. There were more possession receivers, but they were guys that couldn't stretch the field. And right now they have guys that can stretch the field. And they're not big receivers, but they're fast. And I think with this offense, I think when you have a power running game and you back it up with a really potent play-action type offense that can stretch the field, because the defense has got to move up if you're going to run the ball on them. So what you want to do is take advantage of that and throw over the top, and play-action does that. And so if you've got that, then, you know, you've really got a threat for the, for the defense, and it changes the way the defense is able to play. If you're able to get over the top of them because you've got some speed at wide out, that really restricts their ability to kind of play the run. So they've got to play honest, and they kind of have to play between. I don't know if you need a big Mike Williams-type guy 
in that offense, I think maybe it bogs it down. Maybe you have to start throwing underneath more, and that allows the defense to kill two birds with one stone. They can come up, play the run, and they can also play maybe a bigger receiver. So I don't know if USC is actually on the right track with that, but that's definitely where they seem to be. That's definitely where they want to offer guys. That's what they want. Stephen Mitchell's not that guy. Stephen Mitchell is more of a faster, you know, he, he complements maybe a bigger receiver more than he could be a, a a go-to guy, um, you know, I think talent-wise, he's right there with a Jadon Mickens, who USC kind of got away from last year. Uh, but in terms of work ethic and focus and, and those kind of intangibles, I think he has a nod over Jadon Mickens. I think he's definitely a better route runner. I think he's definitely, um, you know, put a lot more work into just those nuances of the game and playing receiver in terms of catching the ball and all that kind of stuff. But I think raw talent-wise, he's kind of right there where Jadon Mickens was. So, Again, USC kind of got away from Jadon Mickens because he was small, and I think he just didn't fit what they wanted. And this year, USC is looking after a big receiver even more. Stephen Mitchell may be not that guy just because of his body. It's not necessarily because of talent, but it's just because of his physical ability, what he can do for an offense and what the offense needs right now. And what the offense needs, well, USC, like I said, they want, I don't know if they need, <laughs> my personal opinion, but they want, uh, that big receiver, that guy that they can kind of throw the slant to and, and get across the middle and can be kind of a dominating possession receiver. I will say, as a side, the guy who was like that at the Nike camp uh, Sunday was Demoria Stringfellow, who we've talked about at nauseum, you know, on the peristyle and everything. I still feel like he might be the best receiver in the state. Um, quite frankly, about 6'2". He's not quite as tall as you'd want him to be, but he's about 6'2", 2'10", 2'15". And watch him at the Nike camp. He was the most dominating receiver. He didn't catch every ball. You know, he didn't. He wasn't maybe the most consistent, and he's definitely a lot more raw than Steve Mitchell is. But in terms of just being dominant when he catches the ball, when he, when when everything comes together for him, he was way more unstoppable than anybody else that I saw at the camp. And um, and I think he's probably when you take it all into account and you realize that he's got his best football ahead of him. I think he's the, still the best guy that I've seen in the state at wideout, and I think a guy that USC's got to seriously consider uh, maybe offering here pretty soon. All right, let's see. Let's go to who's next. We'll go to JD from DC. Said JD every, Booty? Oh no, no JD from DC. So it seems like every serious candidate for a ride at DB this year uh, were at the Nike camp. He said uh, even Jay Johnson from Fresno and Priest Willis from Arizona. Please rank these guys after seeing them live on the same field, and rank the likelihood of them signing with USC at this point. Wow. That's a lot. Well, it's got to give a little. That's a that's a that's a Trojan blast in and of itself. No, gonna... uh, actually, uh, you know, Johnny though. Johnson was not at the Nike camp this weekend, but we've seen Johnny Johnson quite a few times in person. Uh, Priest Willis was there. Um, Chris Hawkins was there. Tahan Goodman was there. Um, uh, Max Redfield was there. You know, I'm a big Max Redfield fan. I don't have to really say it much more than that because I've probably said it too much uh, over the past couple months. I think he might be the best defensive back in the class. Um, Tom Goodman's very, very good. Tom Goodman is definitely, I think, a little more of an athlete right now, though. I think he's definitely got a kind of uh, the football aspect of things has kind of got to come to him a little more. I don't know if he's natural at it. Uh, that's still kind of a little bit of a question. But in terms of being a guy who's got the look, got the strength, got the size, got the speed, it's there for him. And, and, and when he makes big plays, they're, they're really good, spectacular plays. And that's what he showed uh, Sunday. He was definitely um, one of those standout guys that, you know, you just see a flash and go, ooh, that was a good play. Who's that? Tom Goodman. The guy that impressed me the most, really, uh, Sunday as a defensive back, was Priest Willis. 
more than Chris Hawkins, more than Goodman, more than even Redfield. Sunday, he impressed me the most. He's legitimately 6'1", 6'2". He, he showed really good feet in all the cone drills. But more than anything, it's just his break on the ball for a guy that size really impresses me. And, uh, and, and, you know, and he didn't, you know, again, it's one of these things you get, you know, Chris Hawkins, you know, they, he only had like one pass completed on him. Okay, fine. But you have to look beyond just what the results are of, of, of these camps in terms of how many balls that he could catch caught on him. Uh, you know, Priest Willis had a couple balls caught on him, but they were just, they were, they were for silly things, you know, just, you know, he didn't, uh, his, his technique wasn't proper. He kind of let the guy get off the line too quick. But when you watch everything come together for him, He's so good in space as a corner. Very rarely do you see corners play well in off man or even kind of zone coverages. And a lot of people look at Priest Willis and they automatically think, well, this guy's going to be a safety just because of his size. But I, you saw him play safety. He really, and I don't know if it's just because he wasn't comfortable with the position because he really doesn't play the position in high school, but he didn't look like a natural safety in space. And it makes you go, well, you know, space is going to be an issue for him. But it's really not when he's playing corner. And that's the weird thing about Priest Willis is that you would think at that size all he'd want to do is play press corner and get up on a guy's face and use his size just to basically smother the receiver at the line. But he doesn't do that. He plays an off man, and his, his hips, his explosion on the ball, his awareness in space – all of it, very, very good, uh, and surprisingly good for me. When I saw him before, I liked him at corner more, but I wasn't completely blown away. You know, I wasn't like, oh wow, man, this guy, this guy's really good. USC's really got to get this guy. I felt more like that Sunday watching him, and just in space, playing even in you know skeleton seven on seven drills, watching him kind of move in space, and just seeing you know the passing windows and everything, and, and how he reacted to him. Man, he had great break on the ball, so he was probably the most impressive guy overall. I really, really like Johnny Johnson. And the weird thing it is about it is, is that, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, a, a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a yin and yang kind of total opposites. Uh, Priest Willis and Johnny Johnson. Priest Willis is the guy that you would think would be the really aggressive, you know, press corner that would be in your face because, you know, the size and just how dominant his size is. I mean, the guy's 6'2", you know, 190 pounds. You figure, well, this guy's, you know, he's going to just come up the line of scrimmage. He's going to, you know, put the guy out like a, like, like a blanket on a fire. But he's actually the guy that plays better off. Johnny Johnson, who's only about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, 180 pounds, is the guy that gets up the line of scrimmage and just, freaking owns receivers and he's very very physical i mean chris hawkins is pretty physical you don't even know physical until you see johnny johnson i mean johnny johnson is going to be all in you and so he is the guy that's kind of the opposite that you bring in who's even a smaller guy but definitely you know uh, probably you could you could make some comparisons in the Roby. i think the big difference is you know does he have that that top end speed that Nikel Roby has Nikel Roby was a legitimate track guy was 10 8 10 7 I don't know that there's any of those track times out there for Johnny Johnson. And that's probably the biggest question mark about him. What's the top end speed? You know, can he play man just, you know, with no court, with no safety over the top? That's a big issue. You know, can he do that? Um, I'm not sure that Chris Hawkins can do that. <laughs> so I don't know. But John, Johnny Johnson is definitely in terms of, you know, playing that, that close to the line of scrimmage and those under routes and everything like that. He's really, really good. How would I break them in terms of, you know, what shot USC has? I don't know, man. It's, it, it's really early. I know Priest Willis really likes USC. says a lot of good things about USC. He's probably going to take some other visits and probably say some really good things about other schools too. But USC is in a good spot. Tahan Goodman, I think, 
is not the football guy. He's not, you know, he, the tradition and all those things about USC, the history, I don't think they really, that really uh, means a whole lot to him as it does some of the other guys. Like Chris Hawkins is a guy that, you know, grew up a USC fan, followed USC. He, he, I think, loves football and has been involved with football probably all his life. You talk to him, you kind of get that vibe. Like, he, eat, he eats, breathes, and sleeps football. Then Todd Goodman's a little more like, I'm really good at football now. I should kind of, like, check it out. So I, I think those things, you know, he's definitely more open. He can probably go some other places. I think family-wise, he's probably going to stay on the West Coast. I get the vibe just talking to his mother and talking to people close to him that – I don't know if he's really ready to go far away for college. I think he's definitely open, but I think there's going to be other factors which will keep him close to home. So that's going to give USC a shot as well. Um, Chris Hawkins already committed. But as I said, you know, we'll kind of see how that plays out. I don't know if we've seen the last of Chris Hawkins' recruitment. I don't think this thing has completely put to bed yet. Um, and then Johnny Johnson. Johnny Johnson's looking right now. He's got offers from Stanford, Colorado. He likes Oregon a lot. Um, he, Oregon has yet to offer him. He's kind of USC to lose until Oregon really gets involved with him. And, um, and he's a Fresno kid, and those Fresno kids always seem to have some interesting, you know, weird subplots that go on with their recruitment. So that could be a wild card. Uh, but he definitely likes USC, and I think if they're able to get him down the Rising Stars camp, he could definitely be a guy that, uh, that, that USC leads for. But that, but that whole thing is going to play out regardless of, um, you know, he could make a decision early, and it could be for USC, could be for another school. It's going to be January, February before we really know where uh, where Johnny Johnson is going, and, and maybe all of these kids. I mean, nowadays, like I said, you know, somebody asked me about silent verbals on the Peristyle the other day, and I said silent verbals don't mean anything. But quite frankly, any more verbal <laughs> commitments that are made publicly are a mixed bag. You know, you're going to get certain guys like I would anticipate Max Brown when he commits, he's going to be pretty solid. He's going to follow through with that commitment. But then there's other guys that you kind of go, uh, we'll see what happens because once you know that, that official visit time starts to pop up and these kids start to get antsy and their buddies are taking official visits and they're seeing all the attention that everybody else is getting. then they want to start to, to uh, kind of get back into the flow of recruiting. And then it's just, you know, you open up that Pandora's box basically. All right, uh, let's move on. We still got a bunch of questions to get to. Here's one more. Hi, Ryan. This is Terrian from Las Vegas, and I have a question for you and Gerard. I've been thinking about Nietzsche's famous quote of uh, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. And hopefully the sanctions will backfire on the NCAA and make our program even stronger. But specifically with regard to recruiting, this staff came in with a stellar recruiting reputation and at least to date, has responded to the, san- the sanctioned recruiting limits in a pretty spectacular way. I believe that with the experience and lessons learned from the sanction years, then on the other side of the sanctions, this coaching staff is even going to be a more potent recruiting juggernaut, uh, when they'll again be able to recruit 20 to 25 players a year. What's your thinking on this? Keep up the good work. Great show. Fight on. Well, I'll go first, Ryan. I agree. <laughs> I'll make it rapid fire and say I agree with uh, with those comments. And I think that uh, personnel-wise, I think more than anything, it's not really recruiting that makes the staff stronger on the other side of the sanctions. It's the personnel decisions. It's understanding your own roster and doing roster evaluation. 
You know, being able to go into spring ball, being able to make those hard decisions and making sure that, you know, you cut the fat from the program. And, and you realize what you can actually win with and what's overkill and what you kind of really don't need, need necessarily uh, worry about. And, you know, 75 opposed to 85, if you can win with 75, and we know USC's not going to be playing with 75, the whole thing is they're not going to be able to play at 75 the whole year, every year you're always going to be a little down from that. So you're not just talking about 85 versus 75. You're really probably talking about 85 versus more, you know, 72, 73, you know, 71 maybe even. They'll end up being more of what you have to deal with throughout the, the, the next coming years. So I think at the end of the day, it really it gives you more discipline as a coaching staff in terms of your personnel moves and getting, you know, the most out of what you have. Yeah, I, I agree with what Gerard said. It's not the same kind of thing, Terry, as if, if I'm training for a marathon here at sea level in Hermosa Beach and then Gerard's training in Colorado and then we both run, you know, uh, we both, if he, you know, we run for three months that way. He comes down to sea level and can kick my butt because he's been running up there. He's worked hard over the last three years like USC staff would have to work. I don't think it makes them better recruiters. I mean, they have to have a a smarter approach, and I think the plan that Lane Kiffin had in place is great, but I don't think they come out after three years, and now they're going to be like super recruiters or anything like that, but the techniques that they've used, I think that's obviously helped, and then, you know, it's, it's almost just like a weight lifted off your shoulders where things that you had to worry about over these three years, they won't really have to worry about anymore, and we'll see. I mean, then you might take some chances. You might It, it could be different. Like, every guy that we've met on this team so far, Gerard, I don't know if you agree, it just seems like guys come in and they're sharp. There's not a lot of guys that you have to worry about academics and it just seems like most of the guys they're bringing in now they're less risky guys when you get the the 25 instead of the 15 maybe they do take a few more risks and that's something that could actually hurt your program but you know i I agree with what he's saying there gerard but i don't think it makes you don't become some super recruiter just because you had to recruit with like, like an arm behind your tied behind your back for a few years yeah exactly no exactly and i think it's just um you know, you learn what's access or excess, um, and you learn what you really need, what the bare bones of uh, a winning football team are, because you have to win with that, you know, that that less number, and and you have to do it with, uh, you have to be a little more resourceful, probably, and maybe those, you know, like you said, those techniques and those things that those that, that you're able to kind of learn, and you have to learn, you're forced to learn, you're forced to evolve as a coaching staff uh, in dealing with your team, and again, it's more about I think dealing with the roster you have more than necessarily the recruiting aspect of it. Although you have to be more disciplined with recruiting as well. And you have to make sure that you go after guys um, that are, that are good students and you can't have, you know, those guys that you're bringing in that you're crossing your fingers going, well, you know what? He's really good. We're not sure he's going to qualify, but he's really good. So let's go after him anyways. And sometimes you get those guys in your program and then you have to kind of babysit them throughout the program because (laughs) they're always kind of on that cusp of not being able to qualify or they're on academic probation. I mean, how much did SC go through that with Pete Carroll? I mean, you had so many guys during spring ball. You'd have, you know, three or four guys every year that was like, oh, is he going to be able to play for spring ball because he's on academic probation? And and that's that's big. That's that's a, that's an issue. You know, that's, that's something. And then, you know, other guys are looking at it and they're going, well, maybe I don't want to hang out in spring ball. Spring ball is kind of a pain in the butt. Maybe I should just kind of, you know, cruise during spring and, and not have good grades and, and uh, not play during spring ball. It's just, it's just a weird message that it sends – uh, to the rest of the team, and you know the squeaky the squeaky wheel gets the most oil. There's a lot of issues with it, and USC hasn't had to deal with that. You know they've been pretty 
pretty on with uh, with everybody that they've recruited and everybody that they're dealing with right now. So, you know, I think um, you know, I think when that 25 comes for USC, my main thing is I think USC needs to continue to go after the role players, continue to go after the guys that you know you you may not offer because of of pure talent but you offer because they fit your program. They're going to be guys that are low-maintenance guys off the field, and they're going to be good character guys in the locker room. And I think that adds a lot to every team. And, and um, you know, guys like Ross Cummings and, and, and those guys that, you know, a walk-on type guys, you know, I, I think there's a place for that. If you've got 25 scholarships, I think if USC is able to continue to win over the next couple of years, it shows that you have room for those guys and that you should be bringing those guys in and not necessarily just hoping that some of them show up as walk-ons and crossing your fingers and thinking, okay, we can give that guy a scholarship when he walks on. You know, go out and find those guys. You know, you come across a guy like that on the recruiting trail. You know, I think Charles Brooks is a good example of a guy that's a guy that got an offer that, you know, wasn't the most highly ranked guy in the world and, and everybody wasn't talking about him as this great pass rusher. But you know what? Charles Brooks is a hard worker. He's a good kid. Uh, he keeps his nose clean. He's a good student. He goes out there and he plays with crazy effort, and he, and he sets the bar for people in terms of effort. And those guys that are next to him that are the four-star and five-star guys, they got to pick it up, and they got to stay motivated because, you know what, Charles Brooks is going to outwork them in practice and make them look bad otherwise. Okay. Uh, well, we got a bunch of questions left. Let's try to rapid fire. Uh, here's one from Daniel. Hi, Ryan. This is Phil from Long Beach. I really enjoyed the podcast. This question is for Gerard. Do you know if our coaches is recruiting Daryl Daniels from Oakley, California? If so, do you see an offer in the near future? The film clips of him does illustrate how versatile and athletic he is both on the both sides of the ball. And with the limited manpower we have, wouldn't it be ideal to have a player like him? Thank you. Sorry, that was uh, Phil, not Daniel. It was about uh, Daryl Daniels. My fault. That's right. Daryl Daniels, uh, who's uh, listed at 6'4", 205 from Oakland, Northern California receiver, who we actually saw at the Army All-American Combine. You watch him on film, and he's very impressive. Uh, his film is very good. We saw him in person, and we're not as impressed. So I think that's one of the things that USC has to do. I think they have to see him in May. They have to see him in person and evaluate him in person, because when we saw him at the Army All-American Combine, uh, he looked very, very raw and just uh, like a guy that's just a little more of a project. Uh, when you watch him on film, he just looks really good. And, you know, that's the difference between game tape and highlight tape, you know, being able to see a kid in person just going through passing drills as opposed to seeing a guy, you know, just uh, edited. You know, and every, all his best moves are kind of put into two, three minutes uh, of film, and, and you don't really see all the other stuff, which is very important in football, you know, just the blocking and kind of, you know, how does he play away from the ball? A big significant thing for USC right now, something that they did extremely well last year was blocking at the receiver position. You know, you've got to have guys who are willing to go out there and put their helmet into somebody's chest. And, you know, they did that last year, and it broke some big runs for guys like uh, Curtis McNeil, you know, Nobody's really seen that from Darrell Daniels at this point yet. So do I see in the near future? Well, the main evaluation period is in the near future. I think USC's got to evaluate him in person. I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted him to come in and camp before they really thought about seriously offering him. All right. Let's see. We got Michael in Berkeley. He wants to know what's the latest on the tailback from Lincoln Stockton. The tailback from Lincoln Stockton, whose name is Justin Davis, 6'1", 200 pounds, Probably the best running back in California. The latest on him is that he's actually coming to unofficially visit USC this Thursday. And, um, you know, 
probably going to still take some visits and go through the process, uh, but I know that uh, he's pretty high on USC, and he's kind of uh, USC's to beat. So um, that'll be pretty significant. Um, I think that, uh, you know, getting him down here for another unofficial visit, he was there for uh, the junior day and really liked the junior day a lot, and I think that came USC a little bit of a margin uh, with his recruitment. Maybe they create an even bigger uh, margin with uh, this unofficial visit when he comes down and watches practice Thursday. All right. Uh, Andrew H. also had a question on Justin Davis, but the last one he had was uh, Michael Hutchings, the outside linebacker, linebacker from uh, Concord, California. Does SC have a legitimate shot at landing him? Yes. Nice. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Boom. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that, Andrew. And then and, that was Andrew H. Andrew N. wants to know, with all the talented safeties USC is recruiting, some of them must be destined for other positions after seeing Max Redfield hit people. I think he could pull an Erlacher and switch to middle linebacker if he adds size. Uh, thoughts? Wow. Well, Erlacher was like legitimately 6'4", and I don't know how was it, 240 playing safety at New Mexico. Max um, <laughs> Redfield's not that big. I don't foresee him playing safety, or excuse me, uh, linebacker. But, of course, I didn't foresee Deion Bailey playing linebacker out of high school either. I don't think anybody did. Um, but I think Max Redfield is probably a safety, probably a free safety uh, at that. Um, but there's a possibility that, that, you know, some of these guys could, could move around a little bit. Um, you know, it's it, Priest Willis is that wild card, you know, maybe he could play some safety. I like him at corner, but, you know, he kind of can move around a little bit. Uh, Johnny Johnson certainly isn't going to play anything but corner. Um, Chris Hawkins certainly isn't going to play anything but corner. Tom Goodman, I really wouldn't put him anywhere but safety. I think he's more of a safety than he would be a guy that you'd put a weight on and put at linebacker. Uh, but, again, you know, there's there's – you know, as football evolves and the Pac-12 evolves offensively, and you're seeing this myriad of spread teams and option teams and stuff like that, guys like Deion Bailey become more valuable guys that you can put in space, guys that maybe are not, you know, linebackers in the sense of, you know, bringing them into like an NFL-type uh, system where you're playing against, you know, run teams and two tight ends. You're starting to play all these spread teams that are trying to kind of get you in space and, and, and really – use your speed against you a guy like Deion Bailey who's just uh you know really good at, at instinctual in space and, and has a lot of awareness you know that's that then you can bring those guys into play linebacker so you know never say never but I actually don't I think you know Sue Cravens is obviously the guy who's ranked as a five-star uh safety right now he's a guy that could come up and probably play some will linebacker mainly because he does so much already in high school. I mean, he's a guy that plays safety technically, but I mean, he's in the box as many as much as his linebackers are on that team for Vista. So um, he's definitely a guy that can move up, play linebacker, and he, quite frankly, is not very big. I mean, he's not much bigger than than Tahan Goodman, but you're looking at body style. You know, Tahan Goodman is lean. He's muscular. He's he's just, he's he's kind of very narrow shoulders. You, you're not a guy that I think is going to put on a whole lot of weight. You can look at Sue Cravens, and he's got all kinds of weight he can put on him. I mean, he's he's not even close to to being as big as he's going to be. Uh, and you could just see it. He's very young. Um, it's just one of those evaluation things when you eyeball a kid, you can kind of look at him and go, this guy could put on weight. This guy's probably a little more tapped out. I think with uh, with Cravens, he could definitely be 215. I, I don't think that's going to be a problem for him putting on weight. And I don't think he's going to lose a lot of speed. I think he. It, the thing about Sue Cravens, he's just really good football player, just really instinctual. It doesn't matter if he's on offense or defense. The ball's in the air. He's going to make a play on it. And I think, you know, you like that guy around the line of scrimmage. So I could see him moving up and playing linebacker. And USC's recruiting him kind of as a quasi 
strong safety, uh, weak side linebacker. All right, Gerard, great stuff. Thanks very much for coming on. We got through all the recruiting questions for this past week, and there were a ton. Is that it? That's all? That's all we got. It's good Gosh, stuff. I feel like we could really had a lot more information and things to talk about this week. I think I thought I rambled on a little more than I, I needed to, but I don't know. We yes. need to do this maybe more often. <laughs> we'll try to do it more. We you know Send in those recruiting questions, podcast at uscfootball.com, or go to peristylepodcast.com. We got couple of different ways you can leave us voicemails and check them out. Don't forget to check the site. We'll have live updates on Max Brown, uh, where he's going to commit. And uh, this Saturday, Gerard, just so people know, another open scrimmage at the Coliseum, 11 a.m. at the Coliseum. You can get into the Coliseum for free. There was only about 1,000 fans came last, uh, last week. The concession stands were open. Kids were out there having a good time. So you can come out. And check out the team. Hopefully, uh, Matt Barkley will actually throw this this weekend. Uh, he didn't last weekend. But if you want to check him check out for the scrimmage, make sure everyone knows. Tell your friends, anyone, USC's open scrimmage, 11 a.m. at the Coliseum on Saturday. You can come out and meet Ryan Abraham. You can meet me. We're usually working most of the time. So uh, I apologize. People, a lot of people come up and say hi, and we're like go running from one thing to the other. So, But, yeah, say hello. And, uh, Gerard, are you going to be out there? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll check it out. Maybe we'll get you out there again. Gerard's always out there taking pictures, spying which recruits are walking around, checking things out. Spying? (laughs) Check it out. On the sly, on the sly. We're not allowed to talk to recruits and stuff while on there, but you can kind of see, you know, they come in. They're on the other side of the the Coliseum floor, but they they separate the media and the fans from where the recruits are, and that's part of the NCAA uh, sanctions. They have to keep those guys completely separate. But thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. This was a Trojan Blast recruiting edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back. Actually, Thursday, we'll have Johnny Friedman. And, uh, he'll be having his fourth and goal podcast. And then again, on Monday, we'll do our regular Peristyle Podcast. So three podcasts this week. Hope you enjoy it. And we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.